Welcome back to an episode of the Hoops Temple podcast. Y'all know me, Nathan Schwartz. Joining me from New Zealand, Dylan Williamson. Howdy. And joining us from Sacramento area, more or less, California, right? Yeah, Sacramento area. We got Aaron Schroeder. Thanks for having me. Good to see you guys. On today's episode, we talk the finals. We do a lot of talk on the finals. But we also have something fun. We do some off-season drafting of which teams are most likely to make some major changes. I think that's good. Is that good? <laughs> do we say anything after that? What's the next step? So, it seems like he, he was wanting comment on that. Yeah, that's, that is what we did. That's what we talked about. <laughs> that's what it is. All right. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. All right, well, how are you guys feeling about the finals? It's good. I watched the game with my grandma. She was great, man. She 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 sees basketball. When you're 80, you don't you're not on social media. You're not you don't you don't know, you know, you don't know the narratives. You you see it for what it is. And that's just something I'm never going to have cuz she's like Clay Thompson's playing poorly. They should take him out. And I'm like, "What a great idea." Like I didn't think, like I didn't think you would like you know no one else is ever gonna say that but she's like all over it she's like Draymond Green tackles people and I'm like that's a great point totally does gets away yeah. with murder on tons of plays I'm like I wish I had such a pure view of of the game did you guys feel like the Warriors were just slapping everyone's arms yeah yeah Draymond Green just hits people he just hits people I've said enough Draymond Green stuff that I should be careful because I live in East Lansing thinking like <laughs> yeah, they'll come for you. I am on MSU campus every day, um, so I can't hate on Green too much, but like, he is not a good defensive player anymore. He is just a pest, and he is just fouling guys right and left and saying, fuck it, call it. Yeah, and they're not. Which, to be fair, I mean, that's that's not a bad strategy. It just doesn't make me like him all that much. I kind of feel like that was one of the differences between Game 1 and Game 2 is like, in Game 1, like... Jalen Brown in particular would just like blow by Draymond. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, is this guy like, this is a defensive player of the year. Like you're not supposed to get blown by, by, you know, the other team's second best player. But this game, I felt like, you know, even in isolation situations, I guess the Warriors overall did a better job, but Draymond in particular was able to have a much better individual defensive game. Golden State's defense was just swarming. And you saw it with the turnovers from Boston. Like I said, they're just slapping in arms. <laughs> I... I mean, they're just coming in there and just whacking guys. Like, I really kind of wanted to put chalk on their hands and just, like, see all of these (laughs) handprints. I think this is a good idea. I think the NBA needs to just invest in, like, blue chalk and uh, white chalk and then just, like, let the teams wear their color chalk, look on their hands. And if you just slap a guy on the arm, boom, we see it clear, plain as day. You know, maybe this is a a league pass feature, like... It's just like, you know, like the thermo um, level. Yeah. And you can like see where, you know, there's a there's a imprint from someone's hand. All, all, all these things that Silva's just, you know, reluctant to try. Yeah, no, not, not nearly as progressive as a commissioner as we need. We need to implement <laughs> some of these things. I think for the refing, you watch this, and I was talking to my dad about this. I feel like, in a way, the refs are looking in the wrong places for fouls because they're watching the guy with the ball to see if he gets fouled. Mm-hmm. But they should be watching the defensive player to see if he commits a foul. And I know there's not much of a difference, but on that one Gary Payton play, 
Gary Payton goes up for the layup and just falls, and Jalen Brown doesn't even touch him. But you're like, I think that guy got fouled because you're watching the offensive player. And I think in a sense that uh, why not watch Jalen Brown and see if he fouls him? It makes sense. Makes sense. I don't know. I I don't want to complain too much about the officiating. So I don't feel like it was like super lopsided or even really terrible. I think they had decided, hey, we're going to call this loose. We're not going to call tic-tac fouls. We're not going to call normal fouls. You have to punch someone in the face. <laughs> Otherwise, it's street ball. Let them play and kind of deal with it. And it was a more enjoyable game. One last thing about the refs. Um, I felt like, I think it's, it's Steve Harvey, right? That's the like the ref uh, commissioner. Steve, is it Jabby, Jabby? or Harvey? Yeah, Steve Jabby. Steve Jabby. I think Steve Jabby comes on and and he's like... Yeah, to get the second technical takes more than the first one. And I went on all the game threads, and they're like, that's ridiculous. Like, if if it's a technical, it's a technical. And I'm thinking, no, like, that's how that works. It takes more to get tossed from a game. Technical one, it comes. They hand them out like candy. Knock that shit off. Don't do that. Technical two, to get tossed, you really have to push it. It's not the same. Same thing for the sixth foul, or or getting a flagrant one versus a flagrant two. It's going to take more. People seem to be like, oh, you know, if Draymond gets a tech, he gets a tech, he gets with anything. Can you imagine if they tossed Draymond for just slapping the back of Jalen Brown there? Like, I don't think it matters. Well, I think we do need to start watching out. He's got four techs right now. If this is his strategy is pick up that early tech and then just dare the refs not to throw him out. Yo, he gets attacked in game three, he's at five. Gets attacked in game four, or that's six. And unless Warriors close out in five, like my pre-series prediction, he's looking at picking up his seventh tech in game five and being suspended for game six. And I I think that's a possibility. I do think that he will just keep trying to pick up that first tech early and saying, you know what, you're not going to toss me. I'm going to do whatever I want. I mean, I think he's picking up three techs in the next three games. I think it's totally possible. Trying to see who the ref is for game three. I don't know. I believe it is Scott Foster. Oh, let's go. He's gonna get he's gonna get tossed. <laughs> <laughs> Betting odds, if I if I set the line on if he gets tossed before or after the, the 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 break between the third and the so is it the fourth quarter or before the fourth quarter? When he's when does he get tossed? Before the fourth. Is before? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's hard. Especially in Boston. Like every yes. single thing he does is, is just going to be like, you know, the crowd's going to react like he literally committed a murder. That's true. Yeah. I thought Steph was incredible. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I think just his ability to get his own shot off and to, to try to both contest somebody and stay in front of them is like impossible. And you see it with him where they're like, they're so worried about that step back and that, that pull up. And then all of a sudden he's at the basket and he did had some really nice passes to some, some drop off passes I thought were cool. I found it funny. I was listening to, I forget what podcast it was, but they were interviewing a photographer or that's like photographed every NBA finals for the past, I don't know how many years, but he's saying one of the hardest things he did was try to get the shot of bird and magic because one was a point guard and one was a forward and they, they never matched up against each other. Mm. And now it seems like every possession it's Curry being defended by Tatum where the Celtics have tried to force that switch of Tatum now being defended by Curry. And I would say in game two, Curry held up a lot better than uh, than Tatum did. Yeah, I mean, Curry just like by a decent margin is just the best player on the floor. Yeah. And like there was, you know, not a certainty coming into this game or, or into the last series. But I think he has just shown that like Steph Curry is still a top five player. And Jason Tatum's awesome, but he's like a top 10 player. And, and like you said, like to try to stay in front of a dude and contest, and especially when there's screens, because like you can just never go under a screen on Steph. Like you've got to go over that screen as well. So you're like, 
add in an extra element of defense that you've got to factor in. Like you've got to stay in front of this dude and contest the shot and you also have to go over the screen and, you know, it's Draymond Green, so he's, you know, doing Draymond Green things. I kind of feel like that was a good way that they were able to really get offense in this game is by going to like almost like more traditional pick and roll, which in like some of the previous Warriors uh, seasons where they sort of underperformed on offense, like their Cavs series, for example, um, you know, a lot of people were saying like, just just run pick and roll, like it's indefendable. And they, they did a lot more on-ball stuff with Steph. Um, I heard a stat, I wish I could remember it. I think it was like he took like four catch and shoot threes and like 22 pull-up threes this series and so like he's got the ball in his hands and when he has the ball good things happen i believe it when steph touches the ball defenses just freak out you can watch him just scramble as soon as they touch they're like oh my god oh my god it kind of reminds me of when kind of durant gets those those kind of mid post-ups or chris paul gets the ball kind of right in front of the free throw line and he can just hit anybody and defenses are like i I don't know don't know not sure what to do like they're 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 covering their guys, they're not looking at him, and they're switching, and they're, it's just a disaster. And he hasn't even done anything yet. He's just holding the basketball, just dribbling in one spot. Yeah. So what in your minds were the changes between Game 1 and Game 2 for the Warriors, and are they repeatable in Game 3? I thought just defensive intensity. I think they came out and were like, we're not going to get punked again. Not, not going to happen. And they were really physical, and obviously the refs let that kind of go. That made Boston uncomfortable. And I think it is. I think you can do that again. You can do that again. Maybe Boston's more ready for it. It's not going to be such a huge punch in the mouth. But um, at the same time, it's a, you can replicate that, that strategy. Yeah. yeah, and to that point, like getting Gary Payton back, like Gary Payton's not like a, you know, a high-level player. But for this one specific matchup of just like a guy who can hang out in the dunker spot, he hit a corner three, which is massive. But just like one more guy that can play credible defense and isn't just, you know, Jordan Poole and letting guys go past him. I feel like he had an underrated impact on this game. And he was one of the big differences between game one and game two. I found their offensive rebounding, especially in that third quarter. And you saw it at the very end of the second quarter, Wiggins pulls in an offensive rebound. And that is the first offensive rebound recorded by a player on the Warriors in the game. And then they come out and they get a lot more in the third. It was crazy in the third. Like, it seemed like every miss, like Otto Porter, Andrew Wiggins, just like all these dudes were just like Mm -hmm. going straight down the lane and getting the ball. Well, and when they're blowing that lead open, uh, there was a moment where Kevin Looney, come on, Looney, gets an offensive rebound. They're up 68 56, and he kicks it back to Clay Thompson. And Clay Thompson misses a three. And I just turned to my wife and I'm like, Dang, he just missed the dagger. Like mm. if, if the way the crowd was roaring, if Clay had hit that three, I think I think that three just ends the game. And Boston kind of fought their way back in it. They hit a pair of threes. They closed the gap to six, uh, and then you know words are able to stretch it back out. But it was just like middle of the third. If that three goes in, the game is just done. I think an underrated part on on Boston's side is I don't think Robert Williams looked good at all. I don't oh, think he no. looked healthy. He he looked like yeah. he could like uh I think Wiggins took him baseline, maybe that was Porter took him baseline a few times and I just like he can't stay in front of anybody. The rotations are a little slow and he's just he's so good at contesting historically, but it felt like in that game he was just hacking people to try to make up for that lack of mobility. And like they are a way different defensive team when they've got Rob Williams. Like that is kind of something that they're lacking, is just like real confidence in their backline guy. Like we see some of the stiff drives, for example, and you know there are four guys in the paint. There was that great like um, hockey assist to Otto Porter. I think maybe it was in the third, like during that run where it's just like, man, 
you know, everyone's in the paint on Steph and he passes to Wiggins and then Otto Porter's wide open in the corner. It's like, well, if you had, you know, this really competent rim protector, awesome help guy that's just going to take away everything at the rim, like maybe there's more confidence that you don't need to send every single player to the paint whenever, you know, Steph breaks the paint. You can blitz way more on those Steph, Clay, pool perimeter stuff. You can just take gambles, kind of push him out of position, and know that Williams is back there. But when he's not 100%, that's gone. All right, so what are we doing? Are we bringing in Tice or we're bringing in uh, Luke Cornett, a.k.a. the murder Cornet. Nick Stauskas. That's the secret weapon. <laughs> he hit a three. Nick Stauskas hit a three in the finals. Bielitsa played in the finals. This is a win for Sacramento basketball, in my opinion. Well, oh, Nick man. Stauskas led the game in uh in box plus minus with 28 <laughs> do you think because vec was there the king's owner was there he was like he's like i fucking knew it i knew yeah. this guy was gonna be good i knew yeah. Staus because he knew it the whole time he was probably I so old you I, I think more likely he was scouting so um john hollinger had a great tweet like once garbage time ensued, which was like with five minutes left, he's like, okay, Sam Hauser coming in for the last five minutes. This is his chance to secure life-changing money from the Kings. <laughs> we'll give it to him. We, we are we're ready. Let's be, let's be real, guys. He's just there for the coach. He just wants Mike Brown. He, yeah, he's, you know, he's scouting his coach out. He's, he, plus, mm. Vivek loves the Warriors more than he loves himself. He loves the Warriors more than he loves the Kings. He, he used mm. to own a little bit of the Warriors. He's so into, like, recreating the Warriors' success. I think he's a Warriors fan, to be honest. Like, I don't think, I don't know if he's ever been to a Kings game. I think it's kind of like a side <laughs> project behind yeah. <laughs> going to Warriors games. He might not have been that happy then to see Clay Thompson shooting four for 19, one for eight from three. First off, I texted you, Aaron, during in the game and said they need to pull Clay because I, I did not like the injury risk possibility of keeping him in there. But what do you guys feel like Clay needs to do to start getting going? I don't feel like there's much to change in a sense. I think that for someone like him, the shots are there or they're not. And that's pretty much it. He's going to take the same amount of shots next game. He's going to take it from the same spots. He's probably going to take but he's probably going to take more, but I think uh, it's a tough shooting night. They still won. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, with Clay, it's tough because, like, you you, you know, you're not going to tell him to change his shot selection. You know, like, he's won multiple championships. He's been an all-star. You know, he's got the the credentials where, like, if Steve Kerr was like, hey, stop taking two-pointers. We only want you spotting up from three. He's going to be like, do you know who the fuck I am? I feel like if there's one thing that he can change is, like, some of those long twos. Like the the post up fadeaway shots that he used to be able to make, they he just can't make anymore. Like if you cut those out, you know the threes they're gonna fall or they're not. And even just having them out there, like he's still gonna be guarded. So as long as he keeps taking those threes, he keeps running off screens. Like he's still got impact. But if there's one thing he can change, it's those long twos. But that it kind of got me thinking in that game. Like he, he's sort of hard to. I guess consider his his value in terms of other players in the league. Like, how good actually is Clay Thompson? Like, is he a, a starting caliber player at this point? Is he like a low end, you know, second third guy, or is this like like if 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 the Warriors are playing their five best players next year, is he on the bench? That's so difficult. I have no idea. You watch him and you're like, this guy can't play. And then sometimes you watch him and you're like, I think this is the best shooting guard in the league. And it's just that's the kind of the way it varies. I, I'm sure he'll be starting, but um, whether that's analytically the best decision, I'm not sure. I think you you always just would start him just from a value that he brings. 
is by spacing the floor, is by doing other things. And even if you reduce his role and say, hey, man, we just want you to catch and shoot, you know, move around. We don't want you to take, take those post-ups. He's good enough defensively. And I, I feel like Clay's defense has been pretty solid. Like, even when he wasn't making shots in this game, he still was trying on the defensive end. And, I, I mean, this was a horrid Clay game. This looked terrible. And this was one of the flashiest pool game with him hitting that game, that shot right before halftime. Mm. I still take Clay over pool for this last game. Would you guys be surprised if the Warriors do change their starting five heading into game three? Just to maybe throw them off a little bit? Or are they just going to run that back again? Stick with it. Stick with it? I think so, too. It's kind of funny. I think the Warriors actually have the best advantage when they're bigger. Like, I don't know why. If I'm Boston, I'm actually really mm. considering. And we should we should probably move away from the Warriors' love fest at some point and start talking about what the Celtics <laughs> need to do. But if I'm Boston, I'm considering going small. You know, Horford had an amazing game one, really struggled in game two. Rob Williams looks bad. I would try to go smart, white, maybe even Peyton Pritchard along with uh, Tatum Brown and just see, hey, I don't think the Warriors can score 120, 130 if Clay is going to look this bad, if Poole is going to have these nerves. I don't know where you're going to get your other points from. Let's let's do it. Let's have a 130 to 120 game. I think that's probably smart heading into... If you're going to try to chess match it with the Warriors, they're so flexible. They're going to be able to put a better lineup of what you're trying to do out there. Especially if Looney, who's been inhabited by the soul of Bill Russell the past in these playoffs, just occasionally, he's just he looks so good. You're like, that guy can't stay healthy. Or he, that guy's not going to be the starting center on a championship team. And here he is doing that. I think uh, throwing a different look at that totally could work. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We can't say he's got the spirit of Bill Russell. He's got the spirit of Nate Thurmond. Nate, there you go. Nate Thurmond. <laughs> is he shooting 38% from the field like Nate Thurmond did? Is that where Looney is? That where Looney is? <laughs> oh, gosh. Game three and four in Boston. This could be 3-1. And that's, I, I, I would guess the Warriors win one in Boston, but totally could be 3-1. Uh, You're right. They that's totally crazy. could that's be 3-1. They, they, Warriors the Warriors. take both in Boston. I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, getting the the Celtics played this masterclass game one, and people are like, "Yeah, that'll probably never happen again." And I'm like, "Yeah, but that's what it takes to win here. Like, that's what it takes to win at the Chase Center. And you don't have to win again. You got your one now. Just win the three at home, and you got it." Yeah, I mean, the big thing that they've got to figure out is just like how to defend Steph Curry. Like, they they really didn't have an answer for him that worked well. And it's uh, I almost wonder if it's like at the point where remember like. 2000 like 15 16 Steph Curry where he was like so impossibly good that like during the regular season we didn't have time to like scout and prepare like teams would just throw a double team at him like as soon as he crossed half court like mm-hmm. I almost wonder if they're like getting to that point with just how much he was able to dominate when he was on the ball and like they really didn't have great answers for him if I had to pick a team to guard Steph it would be the Celtics, and that's scary because he looks so good against them, but they have White and Smart and Tatum and Brown and all these switchable guys, and I think it totally could work. We've been working on, the NBA's been working on how to guard Steph for like seven years now, and I don't think we're any closer. They sort of have their way that they do things, like the way that they've been able to succeed throughout the regular season when they were good, throughout the playoffs is like by being able to switch. And like the switching just really isn't working against Steph. You kind of wonder if like Ime 
And whether just like the team as a whole has like other wrinkles, like do they have other defensive schemes that they've practiced? Like have they practiced a box and one if that's like what it takes to go to? Matthew Delvadova, where is he? Get the box and <laughs> one back. That almost worked. Twenty fifteen. You should just throw um. I don't know what you throw. Pritchard, Smart. I'm not sure you'd throw at him in that case. Maybe Derek White. I think you gotta tie Lou this up. You put Pritchard on him. Yeah, that's the secret. That's how the Celtics are gonna win. Peyton Pritchard's gonna stop Steph. <laughs> Pritchard has his moments where he's 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 really good, but there are sub moments where like I think this is the worst player on the court. And you're like, all right, like, let's let's shift this up because uh, you know he the shooting is nice, the playmaking is nice. Um, it's tough sometimes. It's tough. Well, one of my favorite memories of that Ty Lue defending Allen Iverson thing was it, it pissed Iverson off. He's like, you were putting this guy on me. This guy cannot guard me i'm gonna go at him even more so and to be fair when curry gets into just i'm only shooting mode that can be kind of a scary place because one he's gonna make a lot of those shots but also it kind of becomes a double-edged sword where he's in that shooting mode but you always have to watch out for that pass and if you can make pritchard maybe bait him into some more shots than he wants to and, and continue to chase him pritchard is fast Pritchard is not a good defender, but he might be the right bad defender for the situation. I like the phrase, the right bad defender. It's all about schemes. Basketball goes deeper than we could even ever comprehend, and maybe that's that's part of it. The right oh, bad yeah. defender. I mean, bringing out Nemanja Bialica, I had heard Zach Lowe suggest it. Like, hey, maybe bring out Nemanja. And I was like, why would you bring out Nemanja? And th- to be fair, I didn't think he would play at all in these playoffs. And they played him in the first round. And he had a great first round against Jokic. I was like, ah, his countrymen. He knows how to play against his countrymen. But he just plays smart basketball and can kind of steady the ship and, you know, make some passes, keep the ball moving, be part of the system. I think the big thing for Nemanja be elite, sir, is that, like, like we, we, we kind of know what he can do offensively. Like, even, like... He's sort of been like underutilized. Like he's got way more ball skills. Maybe not at this point in his career, but like Sacramento, Bielitsa. Like the Duke can run a pick and roll. Like he can mm-hmm. pass, he can shoot. So like we, we know that he's like a capable offensive player. Um, I think the sort of difference maker for him is that he's able to be like part of their successful defense. Like even in this this game, like he had a couple stops, I feel like at like at the rim. And when they're playing him as a lot of times as you know sort of the big man that is is essential like if he's going to be a one-way player like he's off the floor but he's able to be part of their defense and have some good moments individually i watch Bielitsa on the kings a ton and he plays playoff basketball he can he can get his own shot he's a good shooter he's like 6'10 and i think with the warriors they have all these guys like Bielitsa where you put him out there and they're like oh he's gonna get attacked they're gonna go at him and it doesn't really work and the same thing with pool like oh go at him doesn't really work and same thing with Steph oh this Steph's out there okay let's find Steph and it doesn't really work and all of a sudden the Warriors have the best defense in the league and you're like man maybe these guys are better than we thought definitely happens so two games in 1-1 Boston did the first punch Golden State counter punched what does Boston really need to do and really what does Jason Tatum need to do just stay composed. He seemed, he had some great moments where like, man, that's unstoppable. But he had some other times where dribble, dribble, throw it directly into Steph's hands. You're like, well, like, can't have those. Cannot have those in these moments. And if he can kind of, kind of just cool down and the Celtics in general, if they can just kind of cool down, I think they'll be all right. I kind of feel like he needs to tone down some of the Kobe worship. 
You know, I feel like he's sort of getting in his own head a little bit, maybe, with like I am Kobe, like sending the text, the armband, like you see the like the warm up uniform, like he's just really going all in on like I am Kobe, just like like be yourself, like stay like 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 Aaron said, like it's all about composure, like he's just got to stay consistent, um, and I feel like he's sort of <laughs> I don't know, maybe some of that stuff's getting him in his own head. Well, the big thing about Kobe is you have to remember, Kobe had some really bad games in his first championship because he was next to Shaq. And like, that's that's no knock on him. I was looking at some of those finals games back in 2000. And did you know Kobe played like seven minutes in one of those games? Really? Mm. I didn't know that, actually. I think he tweaked his ankle. Yeah. So he tweaked his ankle in game two and comes out after nine minutes, has scored two points then does not play in game three. We, we don't we don't talk about the fact that Kobe was missing. Game four is Kobe's like ascendancy game and where Shaq follows out and he wins it in overtime. But part of Kobe's steps into greatness was having his teammates help him a lot. And, you know, at times carry him. Shaq definitely is the driving force for that win. But I think Tatum, in game one, he realized he needed his teammates and he wasn't shooting well offensively, and he had a really good passing game. Uh, it, it was something that made me really reconsider where I have him in my top 10 rankings, top 15 in for next season, was if he's going to pass like that and he's going to find a way pre- to be productive, well, bam, he is he is a lock for top 10. Golden State flips the defense on him and says, no, no, we're going to let you score as much as you want. And he falls into that trap. It's the classic, we're going to let the top two guys do as much as they want and hope that it prevents the the role players from getting a rhythm and it was something that Kobe struggled with a lot in his career and Tatum just fell right into that trap if you look at the box score it's a fairly good Tatum game you're like all right 28 points six boards three assists eight of 19 shooting could be better but that's okay but this place plus minus is negative 36 and that tells you something because the next guy is Al Horford at negative 15 it's a Tatum not you know don't fall I don't want to fall in love with plus minus but I feel like that's telling you something there's something there that it's that substantial tell me he guards Steph Curry and got his ass lit up there's that (laughs) there's that there's also maybe running your offense directly through Tatum and letting him kind of ISO, or maybe that's his his thing. He wants to ISO, isn't super effective. And the way to beat these Warriors is going to get the entire team involved and go really deep. And because Marcus Smart had two points, I think, didn't he? Yeah, can't have that. Can't have that again. Yeah, it's kind of fitting that he's had this kind of game against Steph Curry because in in a lot of ways it's like sort of the inverse Steph Curry. Like we were saying that like even when he's not scoring and like I don't think he had a lot of assists in this game and. But, you know, every single thing is through, like, his uh, ability to impact defenders, to influence defenders, and to make the right decision. And I kind of feel like all of Tatum's issues are his inability to to make that right decision and to make the good pass. You know, not just Tatum, but it sort of extends to his teammates, too. Like, they don't really have a lot of great passes. Um, and when you've got a team that's swarming like, like the Warriors do, um, you kind of need quick decisions and accurate passes and they don't really have those guys yeah if you look at their box score stats it is almost identical 28 versus 29 points both with six rebounds four assists to three assists curry did have three steals but they both shot 42 percent curry was 42.9 tatum was 42.1 but it's just the impact on their teammates that getting to those stats had man i found that stat i was so excited to say that one <laughs> it's like oh they were identical but the plus oh. minus is so different. You ruined it. You ruined it. 
took my fun. <laughs> Dylan pointed it out. We both found it. I got another fun stat for you. Go ahead. Which team shot better from three-point land last night? Man. The Celtics had a great first half. They weren't so good in the second half, but I feel like the first half was probably enough to carry them. You're going I'll Boston? Say I'll say... I'll say Golden State by maybe just just like a few percent. That looks had a great first half. Would it surprise you to hear that they both shot 15 for 37? <laughs> Man. You son of what a bitch. What was the difference? What happened in that game? <laughs> so there's no difference in either team. It's just the same thing. What happened that game? <laughs> Warriors got more steals. Uh, they won the rebounding in battle. You know, the times that you hit those threes does make a difference. Because, like, Sam Hauser came in, Thousius came in and hit a couple of threes to kind of pull those percentages up after the game no longer mattered. Hey, Stauskas was chucking in a garbage time. He, he took every single shot that he got his hands on. I think I found the difference. I think the Celtics shooting 37% compared to Golden State shooting 45% probably hurt the Celtics. Yeah, that, that was the big difference is, is the two-point shooting. Like, their three-point shooting was fine. Um, especially in like the competitive portion, like it kind of fell off. Like once the game was getting out of hand, like if you do like up until Yudoka got his technical foul, they were shooting really well, and that's just sort of the point where like the game was out of hand. But I think they were like ten and nineteen in the first half, maybe. And so the three point shooting was was good. It's just that their their twos they couldn't make twos. Those miss layups from Golden State, you guys see those. There was quite a few, like, like almost five or six, or they just blew them. And obviously it didn't end up mattering, but it was interesting. It was just interesting to see. My grandma was having heart palpitations. She's rooting for the Warriors, and she's like, oh, <laughs> oh I can't believe they're missing these layups. I can't believe it. Listen, <laughs> gra- grandma chairs, I'm going to need you to just breathe. Breathe. We don't we don't want to lose a good one over, uh, over some blown layups. She was freaking out at the end of the game. The Warriors are up by like 30, and she's like, it's not enough. It's not enough. Like, why isn't Steph in? Why isn't I said? And I said, well, the Celtics put it in their bench, and she can't see, so she doesn't know who's in. She's just watching it. And all my family's totally blind, and they're like, who's double zeros? And I'm like, there, I don't think there is a double zero. I'm like, 18 is this show. I'm like, that's... That's 13. That's Nick Stauskas. And it's just, we spent the last five minutes debating who is on the floor and whether the Celtics could come back or not, which they ended up not doing, but it was fun. Speaking of Nick Stauskas, seeing him wear number 13 for the Celtics just feels wrong for some reason. It's like with all of, like, the Celtics have, like, all the good numbers retired. Like, they've got so many retired numbers. And 13 is, like, one of the most popular numbers. So it's just like, he went out there and I saw him in 13 and I was like, the, that jersey has to be retired. Like, there's got to be some, some Celtics legend who's just like, hey, man, you were in my fucking jersey. <laughs> we'll have to double check. You know, what's funny about me is I am so deep into so deep into basketball lore and all the stats and historics and rankings and whatnot, I can't tell you players' jerseys. It all blends together. LeBron and Mike are 23. Yeah. That's about <laughs> as far as we're going. I seriously couldn't tell you. I just don't pay attention. They None of them look they just... It, doesn't even hit me. I couldn't tell you their number. Do you play Podal? Yeah, I don't. I don't. Still play Wordle though. Still working on getting that getting that down. But no, I, I haven't much. I have. I played it a few times, but yeah, that's that's always the hardest part in Podal. All right, I've pulled up all of the Celtics that have worn thirteen, um, and there are so many of them. But uh, Dana Barros wore it for a season. Vander Blue, Todd Day, Vander Blue, uh, 
Ennis Freedom were earlier this season, so maybe they just had it lying around like, ah, yeah. yeah. We already stitched a bunch of these. It's a little baggy on him. Stauskas is out there, kind of a bigger jersey. Like, how does he look familiar? They're like, you, you tuck it in, it'll be fine. No one will notice. Fab Mello wore it. Ah, oh, legend. I remember ESPN years ago sent me a notification that the Knicks traded Mello to the Celtics. Oh, talking about oh, Fab Mello. I can't believe they got this. Sons of bitches. Uh, Delonte West wore it. Wow. Yeah, nothing. No I think really Nistauskas is the best player here. I think that's what we're saying is that he he does they should he deserved that number. He earned thirteen. I think we figured it out that like the Celtics have all these retired jerseys except thirteen. Like obviously thirteen is just a cursed jersey for them. It's like Bad if you luck. put this jersey on, you're you're it's over. It's a blessed jersey. It's a blessed jersey. That's why Stauskas gets to wear it. <sighs> we talk about Nick Stauskas. I talk about Nick Stauskas more than anyone else. That's what I've noticed. <laughs> this is what the finals are about for me as a Kings watcher. So I'm like, ah, Nick Stauskas. Hey, the finals for me are about the Celtics not winning and the Lakers and Celtics staying even in the chip count. Mm. That's tricky because, mm. you know, 17 apiece. LeBron's not looking too good. I really need the Celtics to fall apart because even if they don't win this year, this is just a huge success for Boston. And I mean, if they win this year, this could be the start of a dynasty. You could get some people to come to Boston. I mean, Boston is not normally a free agent destination. It's not like a big city that people want to be in, but it's pretty close to New York. And if you can show that you're a competent franchise, able to win championships, and you're like an hour outside of New York, freaking pretty easy transit to get there. Like, I could see you attracting some really good free agents. Possibly. They almost had Durant in 2016. That was that was one of the frontrunners. Could have been. That would have been the worst Durant destination. <laughs> this this finals has to be the nightmare scenario for you, Nate. Your Lakers fandom just dying watching Boston and Golden State duke it out. I have no problem with Golden State. I actually really love the way they play. I was thinking, though, how would a team of the cast-offs do? If you put together a team of Kyrie of Terry Rozier, um, Gordon Hayward, Harrison Barnes, and uh, Kevin Durant. How is that team doing? Probably pretty good, man. Probably pretty fucking good. Sounds like a good team to me. I mean, it's just funny. Like, hey, these guys have been like cast off away from the team that it, it, that both teams are in the finals. And you're like, yeah, I mean, those are those are solid players. And they're just pivoting and recovering. This is truly impressive. And... Good on both franchises for doing it with so many guys that they've drafted, that they've developed, that they've had in-house for a little bit or had in-house, got rid of, and brought back in the case of Daniel Tice and Al Horford. Daniel Tice's man, glue guys. The glue guys are important. Guys that want to win. I think that's a really under, always understated in championship teams is those guys try hard and they really give a shit. And, and that's that's half the battle. I always say that when I'm doing my rankings, I'm talking about guys like Harden or guys mm-hmm. like Kyrie. I'm like, just caring, or DeMarcus Cousins, just caring and, and giving a shit is half of playing basketball. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that you traded, like, just getting rid of Dennis Schroeder and Ennis Freedom, like, made you a below 500 team to the best team in the league, like, just really does go to show. Once you get guys who buy into the team, who care about the team and and not about themselves like it makes such a huge difference what are you guys is we should do predictions because there is some good stuff going on in the nba other than the finals that we should get to what do you guys think the jazz 
the Nets. I want to talk about the <laughs> oh, Nets. Yeah. Man. I'm hype. I'm hype about the Nets teardown. I want to see it. Let's do this. <laughs> All right. So as we sit today, we're recording on Monday. We've got the next two games in Boston before we come back and record again. Next on Monday, maybe we push that to next Tuesday. Just thinking, you know, the, hey, we want to catch that Monday game. But we've got uh, we got two games. Let's predict. Are we going one and one again, or are we going two and one, or two and zero? Oh? What uh, what's the breakdown? I'm gonna go one and one, and uh, Golden State in seven. That's my call. I had Golden State in six to start. I'm gonna say they they close at home. Yeah, I'd, I'd say one and one, but I'm thinking probably Boston in seven. It's like coming into this, my initial thought was Boston in seven. And then game one happened. I'm like, well, Boston in six. But if you ask me, then it's like, who's gonna win next game? Or just said the Warriors. Now, like the the fashion in which they won the game is a little bit concerning but yeah i think one and one but then boston went in in seven closed it out in golden state in the chase center they're gonna win game <laughs> seven only and and, and that storied that storied arena man <laughs> the ruckus crowd of the chase arena yeah man really Those quickly diehards. i did a deep dive on i found some articles but i, I looked back on like basketball reference seeing how do teams do how do the road teams do when they win game one? Mm-hmm. That's happened 18 times, and those teams are 9-9. Nine and nine. Doesn't tell me much, but it tells you a little bit because 500 is probably better than the record of the yeah. teams that don't win game one. Great analysis. Next point. Go ahead, Nate. It is. <laughs> well, so the record, uh, I was listening to a podcast, and they were saying that the record for teams winning game, win- game one to go on and win the series is 70%. Okay. But when road teams win, it's only 50%, basically. I think they had cut the line somewhere, so they were saying it was 47. Yeah, but I mean, like, what's the record of just road teams winning a series would be, like, below 50%. So sure. by winning game yeah. one, you've, you've probably increased your likelihood of winning the series. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> should, should, shouldn't be shocking to say. <laughs> winning games this, this, helps you win the series. Yeah, this is top-tier analysis. <laughs> if, if you win game one, you are more likely to win the series. That's great. What are you thinking, Nate? I am sticking with my initial prediction of Warriors and five. Oh I think, man! Wow! I think Golden State yeah. is coming into TD Garden and saying, "Ah, we messed up losing that first game. We had it. We lost it." Kerr got a little cutesy. He trying to keep Curry on the bench. We're taking Game Three, and then we're taking Game Four, and then we're stepping on the neck in Game Five. That's brutal, man. Yeah, I mean, like both Aaron and I have said like okay it's going long like they're gonna split and then they'll you know win the home games or whatever but like we we spent like an hour saying like golden state have all the answers and we have no idea how boston can possibly answer it's like it's not insane to say that like this team thoroughly outplayed the celtics why wouldn't they just do that again well and part of this for me is I think that when Robert Williams was looking good and was looking healthy, Boston had just such a dy- – they just had a dominant advantage on the boards and on the glass. And like Draymond Green would jump up for a rebound and Horford or Williams would just tip it out. Well, if Williams isn't good, you're playing more Tice and, or, or you're playing more small ball. And I just – I like Golden State's odds in those scenarios more. And it's a shame because I do think I got really scared after game one. And if Robert Williams had continued to look better after game one, I would have gone with him. But the the old legs for Horford, the injury for Williams, once this game gets back into a regular every couple of days is playing, I think I think that's going to hurt them. Sounds good, guys. Sounds good. We good on the finals? 
some co- do you guys want to do a little draft? I, just an idea. Just an idea. I like sure. drafts. We do drafts all the time. Think about teams most likely to have like a nuclear summer. Just complete change, or maybe mm. maybe just just most interesting teams. It doesn't have mm. to be nuclear in a sense. Maybe we can tweak that. What do you think of the idea? Or we can just just start on the Jazz. What do you? No, I like it. Which teams you do you like think ex- expect to make the most turnover changes between last season and this season? Yeah, or, we can just say changes. The teams that will probably look the most different. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm thinking a number between one and 10. One of you gets within two picks, two numbers of it. You can go first. If neither of you do, well, then uh, I'll go first. Seems like the most fair way to do this. Oh, cool. I was going to say three. That's ridiculous. <laughs> seven. <laughs> the number was seven on the nose. Oh, nice. let's go. Aaron, you can go first. Dylan, second. I'll, I'll take third. Who's blowing it up the most? Free flick. Now the the first one is Utah because I feel like they're already they're already on the way. Yeah, absolutely. But I feel like that's going to be more of a strategic teardown. My pick is going to be Brooklyn because if that goes poorly, it's going to be just a nuclear fallout like we have never seen, where Brooklyn's left with nothing. And I'm taking Brooklyn. I think it could get really ugly. How long is Nash coaching the team? If I set the line at is he fired before the All Star break? Would you guys take it? I think before is, is fairly likely. Um, I think probably maybe like a more interesting question is if I set the line at 50-50, like what are, the, uh, what are the odds that Kyrie's coming back? Like is Kyrie even going to be on this team? Like that's the biggest way that this team is, is drastically different is Kyrie is just gone. And like we've seen like reports coming out that are obviously, you know, communicated to media members by the Nets of like, like we're not just going to do whatever Kyrie wants. Like he... You know, we're not giving him whatever contract he wants and he needs to prove that he wants to be here, that that sort of thing coming out. And that's obviously coming from the Nets. And it's like, well, clearly they've had like enough of this shit. Yeah. Then I feel like with, with Kyrie, if he just walks, Durant's sitting at home with his hands in his face, like, oh my God, like, what have I done? What have I done to my career? Like my beautiful career. Like I'm in Brooklyn <laughs> and Ben Simmons is my guy. And, and I think that could lead to even another more devastating Durant trade where he's like I don't want it don't want it get me out of here like go get more picks you guys have none like let's restart have you heard of the terrible nuclear option I have not go ahead so it's it's something that started to get aggregated <laughs> and it is that that they're going to trade Kyrie for Russell Westbrook to maintain the salary slot or three-way in OKC to just get this massive trade exception that you can then try to pry off another star because, yeah, I mean, it's the classic Wiggins and D'Angelo Russell deal or the, mm. the D'Angelo Russell deal to get Durant. You need to yeah. maintain that salary slot because you can't fabricate that once you're over the cap. They'll still be over the cap. So you got to come up with a way. Yeah. I mean, if Kyrie leaves, it, the most likely way that he does that is via sign and trade. Like there are very few teams with cap space and they all kind of suck. Like unless he wants to go play for the Spurs for some reason, which just seems like a terrible fit you know, even just personality-wise. It's like, if he's leaving, it is going to be a sign-and-trade. So, like, they're going to get something back. He signs with the Spurs. LeBron just ships Pop, like, a giant case of wine. Uh, Pop's Pop retiring on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be surprising. If, if Pop's, like, that happens and Pop's, like, I, you know, I love San Antonio, love basketball. Like, this is it. Like, this is it for me. Because I can just imagine the press conferences already. Where's Kyrie? Don't know. Anything with Kyrie? Stop fucking asking me. You know, I think yeah. that's where we're going to be with, with, with that if yeah. uh, he ends up in San Antonio. Like, we saw the way that they re- responded to Kawhi 
And like Kyrie is like 10 times worse than than Kawhi. You guys are both young guys. Have you ever been in the situation where you're like dating a girl and it's going fine, but you know it's going to go poorly at some point. You're just like, we need to end this now before like I hate everything. For my girlfriend that listens to this, this is not her now. (laughs) (laughs) This is is not my current girlfriend. (laughs) There have, you know. It's the Kyrie situation where you're like, yeah. you know, this is fun, but this is going to burn down. This is going to be really bad when it ends. Yeah. I mean, that is just, that's got to be pop if if it comes to there. It's like, all right, San Antonio, it's great. I love you. Fond memories. I'm out before this goes horrible. Yeah. I don't even know what Brooklyn does with the rest of their roster because like looking at it, they have built their roster around so many of these championship hopefuls, the LaMarcus Aldridge's, the Blake Griffin's. You know, James Johnson, Andre Drummond's there. Like, none of those guys are back next season. Nick Claxton is a free agent, and you kind of need him. Goran Dragic. Like, I mean, I'm just thinking if I am an old NBA player that's trying to ring chase Brooklyn's fifth, sixth in my, like, ring chase and city preferences, like, I'd rather go to Miami. I'd rather go to the Clippers. I'm willing to put up with a tough year uh, in the Milwaukee winter to be part of that team. And, and then you got Golden State, you know, as like a pretty nice place to live and high championship. And I I just made the case for Boston earlier. So I don't know who even is on their roster and who who they can get for next season. Yeah, I mean, the, the big advantage that they have is playing time. It's like, yes, I can go be the 12th man on the Clippers or the 10th man on the Warriors or, you know, Milwaukee probably get decent odds. but. Brooklyn has playing time. Like they've got two good players without Kyrie. It's like you you can be a starter. You can be a starter on a championship caliber team by just being a, a decent player. If you're Goran Dragic, apparently they're the number one option because he did definitely pick them. I have in front of me Brooklyn the Brooklyn um their future picks. It's not looking good. It's not looking good for Brooklyn. They have Philadelphia's first in 2023. They have Miami's second in 2025. They have their own second in 2026. Philadelphia's first in 2027. Their own in 2028, as well as a second in 2028. And that's it. That's six picks. That's six draft picks to work with. When you're a contender and you, and the Cavs did this 2017, 2018, and you keep moving your chips, you're going to go on average from a dollar to 90 cents. And 90 cents to 80 cents if you keep moving it around. And I feel like Brooklyn's done that so many times that the treasure chest is, is dry. There's no, oh, what if we flip this? And they have they have a few first, but there's if they flip those first, they're left with literally nothing. And I don't think they want to be have literally nothing in the draft stock. I think they've run out of moves at this point. Like, this is the team, and, and this is not, not a great spot to be in. Do those Philly firsts have any protections? Do they? I don't know. This I'm website just, doesn't tell me. That 2023 Philly, Philly pick was um, the deferment from this year. So they had the right That's to either right. take Philly's pick this year, and they opted to kick that down to next year. I'm just thinking there will be a season, and I hate to say this because I, ne- I never like to talk about future injuries, but like with Embiid's history, there will be a year where he misses a significant time potentially, and one of those picks could have a lot of value. I, I mean, I don't necessarily know that you want to bank on it or bet on it, but just thinking as a trade asset, that's your sales pitch to someone's like, hey, Embiid could miss 50 games one year, and then this pick is really valuable. That's totally fair. That's totally fair. And also, they're probably about to pay James Harden $50 million a year. Ooh. We were just talking, I think, probably before the pod about how, you know, James Harden has really fallen off. 
And if they give him fifty million dollars and they're like locked into this team, then like I kind of like those odds. Yeah, like he gets worse every single year. That is next year's pick plus a twenty twenty seven first, and the twenty twenty seven could have, could have a lot of value. But at the same time, with this core right now, with Durant and, and Simmons and Kyrie, what is that? What is that getting you in a sense? Who has the next pick? Who has the next pick? We're, let's keep it moving. Dylan's got the next pick. Dylan, Dylan's got the got? next pick. Go ahead. Well, the reason that I opted for my pick of number three is I'm going with Phoenix. Like, Ooh. I can't see any any way that they don't make major changes with, like, how disappointing they were in this playoffs after such a successful regular season run. Like, they've got to do something. Um, and maybe that's Jeremy Grant. Maybe that's moving off of Chris Paul. Like, they've got to have some big move because what they have at the moment is not good enough. And DeAndre Aiding is a free agent who's not happy and who they don't really want to pay. And so I think the Phoenix team, the Phoenix Suns, who were the best team in the regular season for you know 90% of the year, I think they are looking drastically different next season. What would you, how would you feel about a DeAndre Ayton in a double sign and trade, which you're more of a cap guy. Can you do a double sign and trade? Yeah. A double sign and trade for Jalen Brunson. And I don't know if Maxi Kleber is too much, but Maybe uh, maybe Maxi. I mean, like it would be a good fit for for Phoenix. The reason that they kind of lost is like they didn't have essentially Maxi Kleber. They didn't have Maxi Kleber. They didn't have a guy that can defend inside, switch on the perimeter, and shoot threes. Like they were desperately trying to find that guy and and didn't have an answer. And that's exactly what they needed. Um, obviously, Jalen Brunson. The campaign was an awesome regular season backup point guard and then totally unplayable in the playoffs. Like mm-hmm. they could not put that guy on the floor. Um, and as Chris Paul gets a year older, like he had some moments where he was disappointing. Having that backup guard to, to fill in those minutes would be super valuable. More so for Dallas that I don't know if that is necessarily the move. Because in the, in the same way, like the reason that they won against Phoenix is because they had Maxi Kleber, because they could go small, because they could switch and they could play five out. Like that's the reason that they that they won that series and destroyed all hopes of Utah Jazz future. So I think you gotta it's it's sort of hard to find a fit for Aiden. What do you guys think about Toronto? Do you think they're ready? Do you think they wanna make that push or do you think they're still kinda waiting to let this this core cook for for a landing spot for maybe Chris Paul or even Aiden? Yeah, and Jake Fisher's had some reporting that Toronto is, you know, fairly open to not actively sh- shopping, but they're very willing to listen to trades on OG and Anobi. I kind of feel like he would be an awesome defender against Luca. And if like you're looking at what is our path to get into a championship, going through Dallas is probably one of those things that you've got to overcome. Or the Clippers next year, you know, he'd be great against Kawhi or against Paul George. That really gives you that element of just like an awesome defensive guy. Against bigger wins. I have a team in mind that OG and Anube could play on. I have Is a great team. <laughs> I have an idea. Um, I think it's the Kings. As soon, I don't know how available he is. There's two issues. I don't know how serious that is. And I also think that Masai, his value for OG is going to be like something that no reasonable person would pay. But it, if we're, let's say both parties are, are, are reasonable. The fourth pick, I think it's a reasonable thing for OG, especially if Toronto does want to let this cook a little bit, let Scotty Barnes yeah. develop and kind of let this settle. And maybe a guy like Jaden Ivey could be awesome or even go Shaden Sharp and be like, screw it. We have, we have two guys with 
preposterously long arms that can get their own shot in, in Sharp and, uh, and Barnes. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a perfectly realistic deal that I think Masai would make that deal. I hope so. I hope we call them. I was listening to another podcast and they were discussing that deal and the potential that Portland really wants to make the move for OG with the number seven mm-hmm. pick and how the Portland general manager, as well as Chauncey Billups, are both clutch clients along with OG. And so mm. the potential that OG might really fight going to Sacramento and push for Portland and how that that could dissuade and could play a factor in these. But no one has selected Toronto for these rankings yet. That's my pick, and I will not be <laughs> skipped in this. <laughs> my pick for the team that will look the most dramatically different is the Knicks next year. Oh, yeah. Mm. That's good. That's a good one. I think the Knicks are going to mix and say, you know what? We took a regression after finally making the playoffs. We want something big. Randall's not our guy. Let's put some chips on the table. Let's push our way in. Let's try something. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a coaching change midway through next year. I think Tibbs gets the most out of his guys in year one and starts to really grind on them over the next couple of years. Is he still the coach? <laughs> he is. I thought he. I man. I thought the way his voice wears on guys. I would have told you he was fired months ago. Oh yeah. <laughs> Listen, with uh, Snyder stepping down from Utah, the kind of talk around the league and, and like, I mean, I don't have sources. I'm hearing this from other podcasters who have sources. The talk is that Quinn Snyder is going to kind of wait and just see the jobs that come up. Yeah. And as soon as as soon as you have a coach like that waiting. You want to be the first team to fire your coach and try to hire the established coach. Not that I think Quinn is like, you know, I mean, he's not getting Phil Jackson. It's not like you're bringing in Greg Popovich, but he's a he's a coach that's had success and has earned his spot in the league. Yeah, he's, he's like a top eight coach, at least like he's above average. Yeah, which which is a lot. You know, they're only, you know, half of coaches are above average. I think Quinn is great. I think any team would be really lucky to have him. I think especially the maturity of him even stepping down. And I don't know. We don't know if he really stepped down or he. they told him to step down. It's two different things. But I think he'd be great. I think he dealt with Utah's problems. Maybe maybe he had some of the problems, but he dealt with those issues between Mitchell and Gobert for so long. He's successful. He will, He's a floor raiser for sure. And the Knicks would be lucky to have him. I don't think he'd be super lucky to have the Knicks. It's a different <laughs> conversation. <laughs> I mean, in my mind, I just don't know who's gone first, Randall or Tibbs. But I think they're both gone next season. Who wants Julius Randall? Who wants that? And really quickly, because we talked about Portland, I meant to mention this with the OG trade. Why do that if you're Portland? I do not know what direction Portland's heading. They they traded Covington and for for pennies on the dollar. They got a fairly good haul from McCollum. It feels like the logical next step is a Lillard trade, but I don't. They seem like they don't want to, no. which I don't get it. I don't get it. Cause that's, I, I that know does... exactly why. Go ahead. They're, they need to sell. I was listening to a breakdown. The team is in a trust that has a sell-by date. So Judy Allen, uh, Paul Allen's sister, cannot keep the team and keep the assets. She legally is required to sell them at a certain point. She wants to get the maximum value on this sale. And the way you get the maximum value is having them look good no one wow. pays top dollar for a lottery team i didn't even i didn't think about that did not know that if lillard comes back and looks good and you've got you know og is a, a young star um Amphony simons is looking like a, a good you've got this kind of old this kind of new you can push for a playoff seed and then you can sell for more money yeah 
Hey, there's the answer. I mean, it's a bad long-term deal because Blazers are not going to go anywhere. They're not going to do anything. You're going to sacrifice. You know, you're in the middle of the road. You're not picking the lane, but it, it's going to make more money in the sales. That's that's 100% why Portland's doing this. There you go. That makes sense. Back to Randall. I had made a, a video about what the Kings could do with the fourth pick, what they could trade for, and I had said, hey, like, what about the fourth pick for 11 and Toppin and maybe like another first lead on the line? And people in the comments were like, how about Julius Randle? And I think they were joking. And I'm like, no, like I don't want Julius Randle, especially next to Sabonis, but I, don't, I just don't see his fit necessarily. I, I can't think of a playoff team that's like Julius Randle. Like, that's our answer. Like, let's go in all in on Randle. And he had, he was great the year prior, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, you're up again. I, listen, we're not trying to play competitive fancy football or something. We don't I have am. to do a snake. Yeah. Just, I mean, if you want, <laughs> I can go, I can go again. We can snake back. I'll take it. I'll take it. The Knicks is a good pick. I'm taking Utah. I feel like Utah's kind of the obvious Knicks pick, given that they're, they're heading in that direction. Snyder's already gone. I'll take that. I'll take that. They already changed. I already won this draft. Quinn Snyder's got <laughs> Yeah. Donovan Mitchell is, he said he's kind of hesitant and worried about the future, which is slang for, I don't want to be here anymore. Please trade me in, in, in NBA terms. Yeah, I kind of felt that they were slang for, I want a major say in who the Knicks coach is. You know, he's like, oh, Quinn's gone. Like, who, who are we going to get in? Like, I, I'm very concerned about that. Like, maybe I don't want to be here if we don't have a good coach. I think that's slang for, like, you need to ask me who I want to be your coach, and you need to hire that guy because I'm so concerned about who it's going to be. Well, Luke Walden's off the table, so I don't know how good they're getting. <laughs> Same thing with Gobert. And I, it's going to be two of the three. Now we got Snyder. Now we're going for which player is gone. I think they're going to keep – I feel like they keep one of them. If the, if the deal isn't right, you can always move them when the deal is right. I wouldn't be surprised if Mitchell's gone. And the Knicks are probably looking at that, too. And at that point, I'm like, that's a Knicks move. That would be a Knicks move to get to get Mitchell hit the sixth seed and, and just kind of flame out again. I mean, top top Utah Jazz rumor from HoopsHype.com, Kofi Cockburn is uh, is working out for him. That's that's a big man. That's a big man. I don't know how deep you are in the draft, but uh, is Kofi Cockburn going to be the, uh, the that's next deeper than draft? I am right now? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's past my my knowledge. Kings have pick four. I don't have to think past four players. <laughs> yeah. There's four guys in this draft. After it doesn't matter if they trade down, then I'll talk to you. Okay, can I just say if you're looking at mock drafts, they're only doing it to 58 players because of the two forfeited picks for tampering. I think if you forfeit a pick for tampering, it should go to the team who you tampered with. <laughs> no, but they're both in on it. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I would tam- I would I would I would tamper all the time and hope the rules just flip my way. Like, nah, he did it first. It's totally him. <laughs> just just saying, like, there there should be there should still be sixty picks. I don't like there only being fifty-eight picks. I'm not OCD, but this bothers me. Alright, took the jazz. Next pick, go ahead. You know, can I can I just say quickly? I kind of feel like them firing Quinn Snyder is them like scapegoating, and that's going to be the only move that they make. I feel like this oh, is sort wow. of the coward's way out of their like. Well, sorry, they didn't fire him. He he stepped down. I feel like this is their coward's way out of being like, no, we just we're, like we've got the right pieces. We just need the right coach, and we're going to bring in someone that's going to fix this. So I think that Rudy and Donovan, at least up until the trade deadline, are still going to be there. Really. 
this move of moving off of Snyder is sort of their way of being like, no, 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 look, we're, we're doing something. We're trying to get better. Like, we've got all the right pieces. They just need a mesh. I feel like this is their coward's way out when they should have traded Gobert. I'm also just seeing that apparently in his contract, part of the out clause, he, the Jazz have the right to block him from signing with someone. He's got a non-compete for a year, but he, he may not be able to pick up that next job. So Tibbs might be safe till the end of next season. Shout out Tibbs. That's it. That's really interesting. I'd be surprised. I feel like one, the, the Gobert-Mitchell relationship is tough and also you gotta make something maybe you might conley move because you can't run it back and be like no 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 bogdanovich conley and 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 mitchell can guard the perimeter i promise you like watch it go work this time because it hasn't worked and if you watch the jazz for the past however many years his core has been together that's the issue it's not gonna just it's not gonna fix there is no coach to be like okay this is how you slide your feet by the way and when the ball's coming at you you pick your hands up like that's yeah i'm sure quinn snyder was saying that at some point it is the uh yeah. the roster construction yeah no i i agree i just think like quinn snyder is i said i said earlier at worst like the eight a top eight coach you know in my personal rankings you probably be top five but like i feel like you don't let that guy go if you're then going to make major roster moves and so for that reason, I think that this is their coward's way out of they don't they're too scared to make that big roster move. And so like this is their their next best option. Like they have to do something, so this is what they're settling on. This is the team with trader Danny Ainge running the franchise. <laughs> He'll do anything. Also, I'm just gonna say it. There is a cabal of Celtics and former Celtics running teams that like they do each other a solid every now and then. Like you know, there's going to be a trade. Definitely, I mean, maybe Gobert sticks around. I think Gobert's gone. Yeah, no, I think that I think that them making moves. It's just Gobert and Mitchell are still going to be there. I think that's the only reason that you move off the coach is like one of those three have to go, and they they took the coward's way and, and moved on from the coach. All right. Well, who's your next team that's most likely to make major changes? For much the same reason as the Suns. How about the Atlanta Hawks? Ah, oh, damn it. That was going to be my next pick. <laughs> I thought he was I mean, safe. They made a com- yeah, they made a conference finals like the previous season, and now they're, you know, massively disappointing. Barely made the eight seed. There there has to be moves, and I think John Collins is probably that player that's on the move. Like, I don't think it fits. I think you've got to get more uh, defensive players around Trey Young. I was just seeing they're being linked now to Jeremy Grant again. Even Julius Randle is not an insane person to have in there to have like some more consistency. There's there's a lot of options, and, and it just really sounds like they are kind of calling and asking about anyone. I have a team for John Collins. I know where John yeah. Collins can go. It's the Kings again. We have the fourth pick. We get anyone we want. We're yeah. taking every star, every disgruntled B plus player is coming home, including Julius Randle. I'll take him. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, Dylan, you got any any trades for them or any moves that you want to see or think they might make? I like to go bear for them, um, just the, based on the idea that like Trey Young does really well with the, you know an alley oop threat and a rim runner, and Rudy Gobert is one of the best rim runners in the league. And then combine that with the fact that Trey Young cannot get over a screen, and so like you always have to play conventional pick and roll defense, and Rudy Gobert is the best conventional pick and roll big man defender in the league. Um, so I think they complement each other really well, but with what I just said in the jazz section, now that I don't think they're going to move off of him, um, that makes it a little bit trickier. I love that. 
I love that for Atlanta, because you get Rudy Gobert, essentially, you're like, okay, we have Clint Capella, how about a better Clint Capella? And you just have yes. Rudy Gobert, and he's basically doing the same thing, but much better. Um, add a first to that, and maybe maybe the Utah listens. Maybe add some, uh, add some more first to that. Also, just from like a betting aspect, you just hedged your bets really well with like, you know, trashing Utah's uh, blowing up potential. And then like, but if they were, I'm going to put some money over here. I, I like it. And then like the big thing that I like about that move is like Atlanta has sort of an imperfect roster of like all these different guys. But Trey Young is good enough on his own to make you a really good offense. Like if you have Trey Young, you're going to be a top five offense. And then you got like Rudy Gobert, who's like the defensive version of that. It's like if you've got Rudy Gobert, it doesn't matter who else you have in the regular season, you're going to be one of the best defenses. And if you're like top five at offense and at defense, you're one of the best teams in the league, regular season at least. Maybe it cancels out and they're just perfectly average. Yeah. <laughs> Trey Young is Trey Young's so bad in there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Nate, here's the pick. That I was really hoping that you're just gonna pick someone else. I I had pulled up Atlanta stuff. Um so I'm gonna have to pivot to Old Faithful, a team that will without a doubt have more new players on the roster than anyone else next season, and that is the Los Angeles Lakers. That should have been my pick. I totally should have yeah. taken them because they have like five guys on the payroll right now. And, when, yeah. and one of them is like <laughs> Wenyan Gabriel. They're going to look different. Yeah. And, and the other one's Russell Westbrook, who like they would give just about anything except the first round pick to move off of. Yeah. We got Austin Reeves, who's coming back. Uh, Stanley Johnson's got a team option. I feel like we're picking that one up. Wenyan Gabriel, we're picking up that team option. Uh, Kendrick Nunn didn't play at all this year, coming back. Taylor yeah. Horton Tucker. I, actually, we might have too many players coming back for this uh, <laughs> to really stick, but we're finally getting off the Luol Dang contract. Hey. Oh, wow. Yeah, you are. <laughs> uh, I don't see Ariza or Avery Bradley uh, re-signing. Wayne Ellington's probably gone. I mean, Dwight Howard probably not coming back. Uh, Malik Monk, hopefully he, he finds a better landing spot. You know, I think he outperformed his minimum deal. I mean, maybe not a ton, but he should be at least at five from some team. Yeah, the yeah. Kendrick Nunn deal or else mm. mini mid-level. I don't know. But I think it'll be really interesting to see who they can collect, who they can you know, kind of talk into this. They are another team that can offer up big minutes to someone to, to really have a role if they're willing to take a minimum contract. As much as a broken record as I sound, like if Anthony Davis is healthy, I do think the Lakers are a better team. I think that that's not really questionable. If Davis is healthy, I think LeBron doesn't rest as much. I think they can be a top somewhere from three to six, a, a non-play-in playoff team, um, but not really top of the conference. And you know, I, I really like bringing in Darvin Ham. He's been putting in the work. You know, it was him or Kenny Atkinson. I would have liked to have seen Kenny Atkinson try with not a young core and see if he can, you know, maybe break that rep of just being a developmental coach. But I think Ham is a good choice. I'm super yeah. pumped about Rasheed Wallace. That that makes me happy. So yeah, they're my pick. Can you imagine Anthony Davis with like a little bit more Rasheed Wallace in him? Oh man, it'd be great. That's what they need. I think that's a great pick. I think this this Lakers season hinges on one thing, and this is the metric I'm going to use. If they bring back Carmelo, I'm out. I don't <laughs> think it's going to work. If they if yeah. they decide like, okay, let's take this shit seriously. No Dwight, no Carmelo, no more retirement home. Like, let's do this. Trevor Reza, like, here's a here's a bus ticket. Never come back. I I trust the Lakers. Um, although I'm ready to make a 
Kings over Lakers bet when the season starts. Ooh. More games? I'm in on this bet because I, I do not think Sacramento's moving past LA in the standings. I get it. I get it. You know, LeBron's going to be 38. Let's not, let's not. You guys are still playing Russell Westbrook. And he's getting older. Just throwing yeah. that out there. That he's not younger than he was last year. He's actually getting older. God. You're going to make me defend Westbrook? <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. You I know think, what Westbrook think... did that the Kings haven't done in 17 years? <laughs> <laughs> Westbrook got the Wizards to the playoffs. I get it. I think, uh, I think 45 games is reasonable. I, I think there's going to be some moves the Kings will make. As they stand, I wouldn't take that. I wouldn't be surprised if we, we do some stuff, though. Make it more interesting, at least. Talon Horton Tucker would be like a really good player to move for them um, for two reasons. One, sure. like we know he's he's that salary slot. You can, you know, trade him and, and get back $10 million. But also like they are just over the tax. And if they could trade THT for a player that's making a little bit less money, then you can use the full mid-level and you can sign a free agent to $10 million as opposed to the taxpayer mid-level, which is like $6 million. And like, there's a big difference between a player that you can get at ten million and six million. That's a good cap breakdown. You know your cap stuff. I need to study that out. <laughs> that's that's the that's why I'm here. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, hey, you you don't get a million likes on TikTok doing cap stuff. I'll I'll that's cover right. that side for you. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. <laughs> Who's up next? I forget where we are. Am I up next? Uh, me? Yeah, you're up next. <laughs> yeah, I think it's me. Honorary, honorary mentioned the Thunder because they are guaranteed to play at least 35 players throughout the season. None <laughs> of them will be from last season because they're oh, trying to lose games. One, one of them may be THT. <laughs> you can't do honorary mentions yet. No, just, just, just throw it out there. Saying, what if that's my next pick? <laughs> no one's taking the Thunder. You taking the Thunder? I, I might. No, you <laughs> I'm going to say my poor grandmother. I'm going to say the Bulls. I'm going to go with the Bulls. Mm. She's she's just landed in Chicago. She flew out today. Just landed in Chicago. I feel like Levine. There's a chance. It's a high chance Levine doesn't stay. And if that happens, the Bulls are looking at a court that's just not good enough. And I wouldn't be surprised if they they drop the sledgehammer and kind of go all, go all out with DeRozan fielding offers on Vucevic and DeRozan and Caruso because those are valuable pieces. And just saying, all right, Patrick Williams, here's 38 minutes a game. Let's try this again. Or conversely, maybe you trade Pat Williams. Yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe you really want to go all in and say, hey, Toronto, you got some older guys here. What's going to take to pry Siakam away from you? A Pat Williams seems like a guy that Toronto would be interested in. I love that. Love that idea. Yeah. And I, I don't think there's a, a high likelihood. Like, I think it's less than 50% that Zach Levine leaves. Um, but his, like, the word out of his camp is that, the, you know, it's a direct quote that the door is open. Like, he is going to entertain other offers. Like, it's not a guarantee. The Knicks just hired his dad. Bucket. I'm going to pull Vegas odds right now. He's going to be a Nick. Wait, was it his dad that they hired or his uncle? Uh, Brunson. Brunson's dad. Yeah. Uh, Rick Brunson. Yeah, they they legitimately just hired his dad. Yeah, we're talking Levine, though. Oh, what am I? Oh my gosh! What am I even thinking? Hey, that's a good. That, there's that's a good talking point too, though. You're you're confusing um high level free agency guards. No, I was I was plotting my next pick. I was thinking like, yeah. what, what are the odds <laughs> Dallas implodes? Yeah, just, I, just, I snapped for a second. Uh, <laughs> now that I've prepared that story, Dylan, who are you going to pick for your next? Uh... How about the <laughs> the one that could be interesting? 
it's it's less likely, but just the interesting value is so high. The Memphis Grizzlies could have a max salary slot. Like they were the mm. second best team in the conference this year. They've got the best young player in the NBA, um, and they could have a max salary slot. Like now, there aren't great NBA free agents this season, but like Zach Levine on the on the Grizzlies. That'd be pretty sick. Bradley Beal, if he decides to leave, like there, there are these uh, a few different guys, or, or maybe it's you know a trade into their cap space. The Grizzlies have picks; they have young players, and they could have potential max cap space. So I don't think it's likely. I think more likely Jones is back, maybe Carl Anderson's back, and that's you know sort of all their space gone. But they could have max cap space. And they're a, it's it's not common for the second best team in the conference to have max cap space with I with all their best players under contract still. I love that idea. I think that's fantastic because wouldn't contenders become contenders or like the the scary spooky teams that are kind of young and and, and and frisky become real contenders when they start consolidating. They're like, all right, we have ten guys. Let's make this eight guys. Let's make this seven guys. Like let's let's package these and send them off. Make this happen. Maybe they're still a year away from doing that, but I think it's a good pick. They also have a pair of first round picks this year, their own and Utah's. They would have had the Lakers had the Lakers made the playoffs, but <laughs> uh, but what happened to the Lakers? They fell apart. <laughs> oh, that's right. Just checking. <laughs> But but they have you know future assets that they could include along with not having to send a ton of cap or you know a ton of salary back yeah. so that way you can have a pretty massive trade exception. Yeah, like could you do like Stephen Adams in those two picks and get like almost any player you want? Yeah, man. And Durant might be looking for a new home. Do you guys know Desmond Bain is sixth all time in three point percentage? Is he really? Just just throwing that out there. Yeah. Dang. Forty three percent. I know. I know. Kyle Corver's. Are you talking single season? No, it's for career. Ah, for career. Oh, nice. I, f- I feel like Kyle Corver and Steve Kerr are one and two. I know that they're one and two, one and two single season. Not for Corver has that single season. Kerr mm. is number one at forty five percent. Corver's down at number ten at forty two percent. Oh wow! How how high is my boy Jason Capono? Let me see. <laughs> oh, there he is, it's number a... seven. Forty five percent. Yeah. Nice. That's man, good stuff. Right, right next to. Legends Tim Legler and Steve Novak. Oh That's a tough gosh. list to get on. Wow. Really? Tyrese company. Halliburton is 21st. I'm going to pretend I didn't see that. <laughs> All right, Dylan, is Memphis your pick? Yeah, Memphis is my pick. All right. Then I guess I'm going to wrap this up with the Detroit Pistons. Very cool. I, I, I've i said it once. I'll say it again. I think they're going to go for Aiton, and I really want them to pursue, pursue a Zion Williamson trade because I think... I th- I think he's a gettable elite player. And, and maybe he never plays again. Maybe he he's a shell of himself when he comes back. Maybe this is just, it, it, it's just a fantasy. But I don't think you can get those guys all that often. And to be able to get one, you know, if it costs you the fifth pick and costs you a future first, maybe even two future, you do it. I just, I really think that you push your chips to the table and you say, hey, we got Zion, we got Aiden, and we got Cade. And you figure the rest out, but this is this is my hope and my dream. That's an amazing team. That'd be fantastic. Where are they picking? They're picking fourth. Is that it? Fifth. Mm, fifth. fifth. Yeah. yeah. You kind of sure. wish that would be a little bit higher, right? No, we don't. Like if that was top. Well, for the for the sake of <laughs> for the sake of making massive trades for them. That's true. That's true. Listen, if it's higher, I don't know that you move it. I I think 
I think it being five, I feel real comfortable being like, you know what? We're going to push these chips in. We're going to say, hey, New Orleans, you had a great year without Zion. He doesn't seem that committed to you. We can we can do a three-way trade. We can send our young assets somewhere else if you don't want them. But these are good quality young assets. I'm willing to put Sadiq Bay in the trade. I ran this past some Pistons friends, fans of mine, and they were like, hell no, we're not doing to our first, a future first, and Sadiq for Zion. And I'm like, good. That means this what? trade might get accepted. I would do that <laughs> in a heartbeat. That's right? crazy. Zion is a tough prospect to kind of gauge, or not prospect, player to gauge. The upside is like one of the best players in the entire league. I don't right? give a shit about the fifth pick. You're not getting you're not getting a Zion at the fifth pick or the next first or whatever, unless you end up getting the, the French guy in the, the next Victor draft. Victor Webinyama. Webinyama. I, I still need practice. I'm lucky that that's next year's draft because I need to start practicing how to say his name. <laughs> well, listen, Jake, if you're listening to this, I at least had to say that you told them I was crazy. So <laughs> I, feel, I feel like Sadiq Bey is one of those players. You know, like every franchise has like the young guy that they way overrate compared to everyone else. Mm-hmm. Like Sadiq Bey is that guy for the Pistons. In the same way that THT was that guy for the Lakers before he got the extension and then played like trash. And like, you know, Terrence Mann is it for the Clippers. You know, like every team has their young guy that they just think is way better than everyone else. Buddy healed. <laughs> <laughs> he was good at the time. He was great at the time. Was, this just was... proves the point. Where where he where is he on all time three point shooting ranking? That's a good question. Let me see. He is where is he? Four. Thirty nine percent. You know Kenny Smith shot thirty nine percent from the three point. Shout out Kenny Smith. Right on, man. He was great and he's well he stopped trying and, and when bad defensive players stop trying, you get the worst defensive players. You get Buddy Yield. I called him Buddy Yield for a whole year because he couldn't stay in front of anyone. <laughs> Alright, I think that's a good a place as any to end this this but but another episode of the Hoops Temple podcast. Check us out on social medias. You got Aaron at Possible Shares. I'm just running the Hoops Temple page. We'll get Dylan on TikTok at some point. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. Come find us. Thanks for listening. If you want some TikTok cap analysis, it's coming right up. Let me tell you about the difference between the full mid-level and the taxpayer mid-level. I feel like people would watch that. I would watch that. I would, that's way better than the, the, the hot take pages you see on TikTok. I'd watch the cap space stuff. Let me tell you why a team over the luxury tax threshold cannot perform a sign and trade. <laughs> Talk to us about it. <laughs>